So what is your end goal? Mm. What is your growth strategy? Mm -hmm. And how are you building community around your brand? Mm. That is going to be the growth engine that helps your brand grow. everyone. Welcome to today's episode here on the Product and Packaging Powerhouse. I am your host, Megan Young-Gamble, the project execution her, business owner, and an everyday consumer of all things product and packaging related. And if you ever want to know my favorite product, it is lip gloss. I love me some lip gloss. I have hundreds of tubes of lip gloss. So if you ever want to add to my collection, feel free. And so for today, I am so honored and privileged to have our industry powerhouse guest, Ms. Corinne Corbett, who is the CEO and president of Chic Jones Company. She is also the phenomenal host of Start Right Here podcast. And when I tell you, you are in for a treat for today, you are in for a treat. And so Ms. Corinne, thank you so much and welcome to the Product and Packaging Powerhouse Show. Megan, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So excited that you're doing a podcast because your knowledge is exceptional. So I'm glad you're sharing it with the world. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I received that. As we get started for today, I would love for you just to share a little bit about who you are, how you got into this industry, and how you evolve into having your own podcast. Again, Megan told you, my name is Corinne Corbett. I am an OG magazine editor, meaning I spent more than 25 years in magazines when they printed them. Digital was happening too. And I worked at magazine. I got my started my career at L. And the other magazines I worked at were Heart and Soul, Mode, where I was editor in chief of both of those. I worked at Hachette Custom Publishing after L. Real Simple, where I was executive editor, and Essence, where I was the beauty director. So I've been in and out of beauty. Like I've done three or four rounds of beauty. And in between my stints in magazines, I work directly with brands, doing things like brand strategy, copywriting, focus groups, things like that. Mm-hmm. And I did my first podcast. I've had three, this start right here is my third podcast. First one was called That Black Girl Show when I had a blog called That Black Girl Site from 20, 2008 to 2012. In 2018, I had a podcast with a dear friend called Visible Women, who was on diversity, equity, the intersection of diversity, equity, and inclusion and appearance. And because beauty is my love, doing a solo podcast on on Start Right Here is really close to my heart, but it's really important because my goal is to help people break in, stand out, and get the tools to move up and succeed in this industry. I love that. And the fact that you've always been intentional since our beginning, and even when we did our podcast interview today, which I will include in the show notes for you all to listen to and for you to subscribe to Start Right Here podcast, you know, even like our conversations then like was really impactful because 
there's so many different Black professionals that are in this beauty space and we're in different areas of the business. So like with you be coming from media and communications, how I'm in project management and packaging, how we coincide with each other in this industry to create great products and have the exactly. messaging be to resonate with each other is really impactful. And it goes to show that there's opportunities for any and everybody in this beauty space. So regardless of where you are, R&D, cosmetic chemistry or science, packaging, procurement, media, marketing, communications, we all are critical and we're all stakeholders that should be at the table to have these conversations and ensure that we're speaking up about how to be representative, especially within Black community, to make sure exactly. that the products that we buy and that we are creating is intended for us by us. So right. I love that. And so understanding that your love is centered around beauty, share with me a little bit about what you've seen over your 20 years in this industry, the good and the ugly truth about this industry. When I first started, so I worked at L. my first job. L was different in terms of a high fashion magazine. So for people to know, I'm talking about I'm really an OG because I'm an original staff member of American L, which came out in 1985. So don't do the math or you want to do the math. doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> um, so back then, I mean, we did have Black models on the cover because Regis Panez, who was the publication director, who was our boss, was married to a Black woman. So he had, he, so he had appreciation for, for Black beauty. So Karen Alexander was on the cover. Gail O'Neill was on the cover. Kara mm -hmm. um, Young was on the cover. Um, Kirsty Bowser. We had a lot of, we, but we had Black representation there. But within the beauty section, the models were there, but the product was not. So we were fudging a lot of it, mm -hmm. right? But that was the beginning of the first wave, I would say, not the very first wave because Naomi Sims, but the very, the next wave, like the late 80s into the early 90s when um, Revlon got into the game with Polished Ambers and Maybelline had Shades of You. This is way before CoverGirl did it, but there was a Black woman who was American, but she lived in Paris who had a luxury brand called Gazelle, luxury skin and makeup brand. And I remember her because it showed luxury space. And Iman had I Iman, which was the department store version of Iman Cosmetics. It was the other line. She had another line as well. So there have been opportunities for us, but back then I think that it was treated as like a money grab and a fad. Mm. So when the money wasn't coming in and there was less interest so it's just stuff started to fade away. I think that's really profound. And going back to like your experience at L, how you had black models that were representative. At, on the magazine, but you didn't have black products, you know, probably was like the emphasis stage of now, what do we do to really showcase the black models and black products? So that way consumers and the readers start to have both of them, the representation through media, and then also the products that are suited for them too. So I think that's really impactful and beginning wave of starting to see more black brands, more black beauty products be created and getting more exposure. Thanks to right. me. I, I think now because there's their digital properties, mm -hmm. it may be easier, but when print magazines ruled, advertising 
advertisers had a lot of power. They didn't control what was on the pages, but they controlled what was on the pages in, you know, subtle ways because you had to pay attention to the advertiser as an editor, right? Yeah. Um, today, um, I think the pressure editors, not the pressure, but one of the concerns editors have is whether there are affiliate links. So even if there's a black brand with powerful products, if they don't have an affiliate link mm -hmm. that can be shared, you know, on in the article, the likelihood that they're going to be covered is less. There are um, factors that you have to consider. So it's not just this is a great. There are opportunities, yes, where there it's just we're doing a product round of great products. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there are also opportunities where they're saying we have to look at the affiliate links. We have to look at whatever is going to bring in revenue in a, mm -hmm. on a digital platform. And considering like understanding advertising, print advertising versus digital and this paradigm shift that we're going into, because now we're seeing to your point, you know, we're considering various variable factors, you know, with digital space and advertising and the affiliate links and everything. Do you think we're going in a positive direction or we're kind of stagnant or wish that we incorporate things that were done back in print advertising? No. So the space is different. I mean, everything evolves, right? Mm -hmm. But one of the things that's happening is the way that we consume things and get our information is different. So yeah. we have a tension span that is shorter. We want our information fast. So articles are not going to necessarily be in-depth thousands and thousands of words explaining how something works, right? Somebody's doing a TikTok for 90 seconds and maybe three minutes if we get a, if we're lucky, right? And they're explaining that there. So we have social media where you have consumers and, and influencers and experts giving you their opinion. You have digital platforms competing with that. So they have to also figure out how to tell a story in a short form, right? Mm -hmm. So there are lots of um, competing factors for consumers' attention now. That makes sense. Yeah. And I feel like in this current environment, we only have 30 second attention span, you know, okay. so our attention span is much shorter. And how do you really target through effective communication to make sure that the product is going to resonate and, you know, the conversions and things of that sort. So it is a whole strategy. Right. And to your point, I think our window and attention span is going to start decreasing. I think right now it's 30 seconds, 30, 60 seconds. It's going to go down to 15, 30 seconds to possibly 10 seconds right. to really hit it home in that short amount of time. But I think that when whoever's watching, person that's consuming the media feels that the person that is delivering or that the brand that's delivering or the media platform that's delivering information is authentic in their delivery, right? Mm -hmm. And they're likable in some sort of way, then you will give them more than that 30 seconds. If you start to, you'll follow them. And every time they have some, let's see what they have to say. But it's it's getting the trust of that consumer first, not being a fan of everything, but being really discerning with what you're recommending. Mm -hmm. And then people trust you for your recommendations after that, whether you're a brand or a person. Yeah. I agree. And even thinking about like my own upbringing with products and black representation growing up, you know, it was always skewed. And the reason I say that is because growing up, like, yeah, I had Jed, we had, we had Jed, we had Essence, we had Ebony, we had those staple magazines, but we didn't have the black owned products to correspond with what we saw on those publications. And so me growing up, I was like, I was just on the assumption if they black on the magazine, the products must be black too. But not knowing until much older 
that's not always the case. And so that's where I mean by my perception was skewed, you know, in reference of black representation and then black beauty products. So, and then my trust wasn't there. You know, I didn't use a lot of products for a long period of time because what I saw and what was provided weren't matching up. Right. And then the other factor is what you saw. And when you went to the counter, if the person didn't have the confidence to, and the training to give you the right product, then they got turned off. So it's not necessarily that the non-Black brands didn't have product. So eventually they did have some product, very limited selection for Black consumers, for Black women. It yeah. was that it didn't match. It was all out of stock often. So you go to store thinking you're going to get it. Um, and then the counter people, if they didn't look like us, didn't have the confidence to apply the product, to match the product, mm-hmm. then you know we just didn't want it. That's true. And I will never forget the time that when Amon had her full makeup line and my mm-hmm. mom would go and buy Amon products and my mom is has more of a um, yellow undertone, a beautiful skin complexion. And she would go get matched, but it would be too light, even for her lighter yellow tone complexion. Right. Because the products that she needed to match her skin tone was never available to then try to have me utilize the same product and it would look like powder on my face. So- to your point, you know, seeing that and that black products would be out of stock, not being matched properly is the disparity that we saw just within black beauty space. Right. So I think that's really interesting. And so for current black owned brands now, having to navigate the digital space, keep people's attention span, really develop the trust with their consumers and be competitive with big conglomerates too. What recommendations would you give to these black owned brands now to? of how they can stand out and really start gaining the trust of their consumers. So again, it's the authenticity is number one, but, but also know what your value proposition is in your product. Don't buy, don't, don't do something just because someone else is doing it. Mm. So what are you bringing unique to the market from your perspective? How are you communicating that your unique value proposition? And then how are you communicating with your consumer? How are you letting people know what you need about and, and the value of their product? product, um, unique value proposition. How, how do, how do you see that? Right. It is really important that authenticity, um, really, really clear messaging that's consistent across all of your, your packaging, your social, your email, your website, a consistent message, Mm -hmm. and then a belief that what you're offering is going to give them results or give them or make them feel beautiful. It doesn't have to be about a problem. It could mm-hmm. be about enhancing something that they already have because we're not just problem people, you know, true. we're beautiful and we want things that enhance our beauty and, and, you know, show it off. That's true because honey, my favorite product, like I mentioned is lip gloss. I can put on lip gloss and feel like my beauty is enhanced just with that one product. Mm-hmm. Then if I had the mascara, then the uh, concealer, the setting powder foundation, when I add all that, oh baby, you can't tell me nothing, but lip gloss is my one staple product that enhances my beauty. So I really love that. And, you know, we're starting to see a lot more black owned brands come to market who are really being authentic, who are really displaying why they're creating the product, whether it's a problem, you know, I've seen black owned brands create products because of eczema or the lack of access or color matching to, we just want to make every woman feel beautiful. Right. It is simple as that. So to your point, it could be, problem, you know, solving a problem, but it could be just enhancing 
what you already have because everybody's beautiful in their own way. And it's really just elevating that. And so considering that, you know, in this day and age, we're having more black owned brands come to market and your experience within advertising, what are some misconceptions black owned brands have with launching a product in this beauty industry? Well, being pigeonholed, I think the first one is because you might make a make a brand or make a product that is that can make us look exquisite, but mm-hmm. it can, but you can do it for every skin tone. Mm-hmm. So you don't want to necessarily be pigeonholed as black owned and only for black. It limits your ability to make money. By the same token, if that's what you are, then you have to then, one of the misconceptions is that you're not making money when you are because we spend more, billions more, nine times more than the average consumer, right? So even if your product, if you have decided that I am doubling down on my community, my community alone, people that look like me, you can still make a significant amount of money. And so it is, how much do you want to scale your company? For other companies, they want an exit but we don't always want an exit. So what is your end goal? Mm. What is your growth strategy? Mm -hmm. And how are you building community around your brand? Mm. That is going to be the growth engine that helps Mm. your brand grow and scale that community. I love that. So just to recap that. So the growth strategy, thinking about the end goal and building around the community. Are you knowing what your community wants? Because, you know, you can be in your house by yourself and say, I've decided that XYZ product is the answer. And I'm going to, you know, produce 5,000 of them, not having asked a soul, right? Mm -hmm. And then you wonder why nobody bought anything. (laughs) Because (laughs) you got the cute social, you got all the stuff, because that's not something they need. (laughs) Something Mm -hmm. that you thought they needed. You assume they need it, but you didn't ask anybody. Do you need this? Is this, yeah. this is a game changer. Is this a game changer for you? Or is it nice to have when you have some extra money? Mm. And there's a big difference between gotta have it and nice to have it. Cause you know, this is a tough time. So nice to have it, you know, quickly comes. I'm not going to be able to get it. Yeah. I think that's gold and very valuable because we're all assessing our bottom, our internal bottom line right. because housing prices going up, gas going up groceries going up. So to your point, if you're creating something in your own silo, in your own bubble, because it's nice to have, that's lower priority versus how is this product really going to be impactful and beneficial for me to then be able to pay my hard-earned money to get the product, use it, and then continue to buy it. You know, we're all in hard times. We're all assessing every single dollar and we trying to make a dollar out of 15 cents nowadays. And that's for real. That's for real. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, so I think that's really important because having that community and one thing I always tell people is conduct focus groups. Do not create a product or create packaging without gaining insight from your target audience, your end users, because you're going to be creating something in silo and don't nobody want it. And then you get mad that you invested all this time, this effort and the money to create something that you think people need, but they don't because you didn't tap into your community. Right, right. And the thing about this is, you know, remember when lean startup, people were talking about lean startup all the time, all the time. Mm -hmm. We don't talk about it anymore, but that methodology still works. So Mm -hmm. 
coming up with a minimal viable project, com- product, coming in small with, you know, I, I know that MLQ, sometimes people have um, run into problems having to, to order more than they need, but mm-hmm. finding that small batch manufacturer who can meet your budget as opposed to overextending yourself, mm-hmm. it's pretty important. And it then is. you make the product. They love this one. Figure out what else they need. This same group. Yes. And see how you can expand that because who else can you bring in? And that's how you start to bring an authentic community where people ride with you. Mm-hmm. Like this is the, oh, I like her. I'm going to ride with her. I'm going to write this brand. She, it really helped me. Absolutely. Like at the end of the day, we're bought in as consumers. We're going to ride to the end of time. Exactly. Period. Like, look how many people are following suit to Fenty Beauty, to Brigio, to Sienna Naturals. Look at how they really cultivated the community by being authentic, creating something that's really beneficial and impactful, some solving a problem, some that's enhancing beauty to make sure that they're creating something beautiful and make you feel beautiful at the end of the day because you stay true and you're tapping into your community. So I think all of that is really critical. And I want to go back to one point where you talked about the contract manufacturers, because a lot of brands are wanting to, you know, have this grandiose ideas. And some may be, you know, in the startup phase too, regardless of the scale of the idea, but they're like, I want to launch this product and I want to look, work with a contract manufacturer. They get engaged, but then get disappointed that small batch manufacturers can't meet them where they are or are not able to produce the product that they want. Right. And so just from your experience and interviews with phenomenal brands, what pieces of advice would you give to emerging and startup brands who are looking to get engaged with small batch manufacturers and making sure that they can complement and create the products that are suited for their community? So there's a couple of things you can do. Some people start by making it in their houses, right? Mm-hmm. Lots of people start making formula, at least Melissa Butler, Lisa mm-hmm. Bryce. So many people that I've interviewed also who start making a product, start testing the idea themselves. Even um, most recently, um, Shea Radiance founder, um, Funleo Alibi, um, yeah. talked about them doing it in their home till they couldn't do it anymore. Sometimes, we, and I'm guilty of this, so I can talk about it. We have really great ideas and we overcomplicate them mm-hmm. so much that we cannot go forward, right? Mm-hmm. So the idea that thinking about the one product, is it two products that you start with? And yeah. then is it you find the chemist that can help you? You do the research, ask questions. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Go to um, events where people are speaking before you even start, if you can go mm-hmm. and gather the information. And if this person, if they, if you see somebody there who you like the way they talked or to see if you can follow up with them and have a conversation about your particular brand before mm-hmm. you go forward, you have to interview people. Noelle Michu of 456 Skin said, you even have to do that with your co-founder that you have to like date them for six months. You don't want to lock into something that with someone you're not very, you know, you know, you don't know fully. Mm -hmm. And I think that's even profound because even with my own practice, you know, people like, we need your help with packaging. That's great. 
well, before we get started, tell me a little bit about your brand. What does it represent? You know, who is the end user? How are you, what type of packaging are you needing? And I stay, I don't give you the high ticket price. I say, start with the low entry, just so you can learn what it's like to work with me, the level of information I'm providing you to then, you know, eventually move up with working together. Because to your point, we're all trying to make a dollar out of 15 cents and emerging and startup brands, they don't have the capital to invest tens of thousands of dollars to work with one person. They looking at tens of thousands of dollars. That's, that's my whole year. That's my whole budget or possibly a couple of years, you know? So to your point, going to these different industry conferences, trade shows, events, following them on Instagram, LinkedIn, whichever platforms that they're on, hear them, engage with them. See how you can have those conversations so they can become part of your community and vice versa to help you as part of your growth strategy to help you get to your end goal. So I think that's really important. And so understanding like, so we talked about what brands can be doing and how to get engaged with small contract manufacturers. And one thing you talked about is authenticity. And that's like the word that resonates with everybody. But specifically with Black-owned brands creating their products, you said they need to be authentic with their messaging from products creation to packaging to content, marketing, emails, all of that. With the products and the packaging, respectfully, how can brands show up authentically with what they're creating and communicate that on the products and the packaging? I think you have to know what your point of difference is because Mm -hmm. all Black brands don't do the same thing. Mm -hmm. So it is doubling down on your differentiation and then looking at how that shows up for you as a brand in your messaging and your communication. What are the words that you use? Mm -hmm. What are the phrases? What are the things that people can count on? Are you somebody who's going to do pop up in the community and do X, Y, Z? Are you going to take a billboard out? I mean, I don't know. What what is it that, what are you going to do uniquely? Um, And if you are a founder, how comfortable are you personally engaging, telling your story? Because you will get fans mm-hmm. and fans will convert to customers. That's true. Guys, if y'all listen to my personal story about detour to destination, that is a whole story. But to your point, like how you got in here and really being authentic and transparent, like right. here's what's going on. Here's what I encountered. Here's what I had to endure. Here is what I am doing to show up and represent myself and the products and the products I'm creating for this intended community is something that we all can resonate with because we want to see the person at the end of the day. Exactly. Connect exactly. with the products through the packaging and stuff. So we want to, we want to see y'all. So I think that's, I think that's valuable. And so nowadays we're starting to see a paradigm shift where we're getting more retailers to house and position Black-owned brands, which I think is a good thing. And so when you have initiatives like the 15% pledge and other similar initiatives, do you think retailers are doing enough to represent and position these Black-owned brands? Or do you think we still have work to do? We have work to do because we, first of all, are the retailers doing it because they think the brands are ready to be on retail shelves? Do they know how long it's going to take to get paid? What they have to do to get the, what what kind of investment they have to make to get that order to the to the retailer? 
Mm-hmm. And then how long is it going to take for them to get back? How do they deal with returns? Mm-hmm. Are they going to know all of that? Do they teach them that? Does anybody tell them any of that? Because that's a recipe for disaster if a brand does not know this stuff. Yeah. Yes, there are people who are going to go into retail and just blow it out. But that is like, you know, one in a million. Mm-hmm. It doesn't happen for everyone. So what kind of preparation does the brand have that you have chosen Are they really ready? Because if they're not ready, it could really set them back, right? Mm -hmm. Will it be in the stores where customers can find the product? I mean, now we have online, so you can find it. But Mm -hmm. if I go into the store and it's not there, even though you said it's going to be there. Mm -hmm. Or is that that also? Yes, it's out of stock. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, we have a ways to go because it has to not just be you know, the program, it has to be the buyers for the individual stores or regional buyers to make sure that things are there. Mm -hmm. Um, It has to be the the monitoring what needs to be restocked, Mm -hmm. product placement, shelf placement, end cap. Do they get end caps? Do we find them? (laughs) Can we find them? (laughs) Right. Uh, Yeah. All of those components impact You know, you get excited about um, being in retail, but then there's the work that has to be done. And then do you understand promotions and and how you might have to pay for those promotions and things like that? So all of that. So when I say go to these conferences to learn, go to workshops, whatever it takes so that you know all of these components, then do that before you make a deal, right? Mm -hmm. And then you're able because- there are brands that are celebrity driven that can, you know, they have money behind them that they can do some of these things. But if you are just, not just, but you are someone who is not a household name yet, right? That has not made a, a name for themselves in another industry that can carry over to beauty, right? Mm-hmm. Then you, and you're not independently wealthy. Let's do this. If you're independently wealthy, you can do whatever you want, right? Yeah. But if you're not independently wealthy, even if you've raised venture capital, that money still has to be allocated and you can't spend it all on promotion and marketing. Mm -hmm. So you have to really think strategically about how and when to enter retail, Mm -hmm. whether it's big box or specialty. Mm -hmm. And the payments, like with those net terms. I think is probably number one thing that a lot of emerging brands that are not household names right now do not understand with retail. Because can you satisfy a purchase order, a PO at a location, let's just say for 10,000 units, get into operations, do production, transit, get it to their fulfillment or distribution center, get on the shelf, but your payment once once it's received is gonna be a net 90, net 120 days. And you may have to satisfy another PO that they've submitted. Can you keep your operations afloat with enough capital to sustain that and wait for your money to come in? I don't know about y'all, but I can't wait that long. Like who can in this day and age? You know, it's a really, really tough situation to be in. And Mm -hmm. so you, that's why you, you have to like plan for these things. You have to know that in advance. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you might have to say, no, not right now. Mm -hmm. Sounds good, but you know, we're not ready. Yeah. Because you may be trying to scale too fast without understanding the implications of doing so. Exactly. So, you know, and I, I, you mentioned a lot of great points that I really want these, the listeners, specifically black owned brands to really understand, understanding the minimum order quantities with suppliers, understanding net terms, asking a lot of questions 
a lot of questions. You know, understanding where your product is going to be housed. Is it at the bottom shelf where nobody's going to see it? Is it top shelf? Is it an end gondola? You know, understanding those things and really understanding how your packaging and your product is different than what's already there. They're doing competitive analysis on your brand when you're doing a pitch meeting. How are you really conveying, like Corinne said, your unique value pro proposition? What makes you different than the next person, your competitor? So guys, really be intentional about it. And going into retail is a whole strategy. And it's okay to say no right now or whenever that time is because it takes capital to get your products into retail, wait for your money to come, and then get and then continue to fulfill your orders. So y'all heard Corinne saying right here at the product and packaging powerhouse. Okay. So with that, we're starting to see a lot of brands come to market. They house home names, whatever, whatever scale of business they are. They want to get more media outlet attention for advertising promotions and start utilizing influencers. So how can influencers, celebrities, and other content creators use their platforms to promote more inclusive perception of beauty? Influencers can't. So the, I think it's on it's behooves the brand to get the range of influencers. An influencer by her or himself or their self cannot show everything as mm -hmm. one influencer, right? But it's the mindset you have to have as a brand that we have these values and these are the people that represent the aspects of what we're selling. Mm -hmm. And it could be range. You could have a lot of different values and benefits, right? So you can be creative in how you look for influencers. But one of the things that Fenty does well is everyone is invited to the party, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They have they have done that well. Guide Beauty has done people of different abilities mm -hmm. are invited to it. And that's not a Black-owned brand, but that is a brand for people who may have disabilities, right? Mm -hmm. To help them. So these are the things that we have to think about in terms of who are we talking to? Mm -hmm. I mean, so there's the unisex question. Mm -hmm. There is men wearing, you know, male beauty, mm -hmm. men wearing makeup, men's grooming, all of the aspects that, you know, who the consumer is. Consumer is vast, right? The consumer marketplace is vast. Mm -hmm. So how do you represent that if that is who you're serving? Mm. I think and that's, that's where the influencer comes in. And I'm glad that you said that because, you know, a lot of brands, regardless of ethnicity and stuff, are really looking to utilize influencers as that digital advertising and marketing space, which is good, you know, but that's always, I feel like conversations I've had with, with brands, that's like their number one strategy. And that's the right. only strategy. And it's like, that's one area, but that's not the only area. And then understanding influence. Influence get pitched all the time. Are they, do they have the target audience that's going to resonate, you know, to showcase your products for your intended target audience too? Is it their alignment? And if it's not, then you talking to nobody really. And you're paying for stuff that ain't nobody going to bite on. So right. I think that's really gold, you know, to really be intentional, understand the importance of influencers, but also understanding their place as well. For right. Marketing they can't sell everything for you because everyone is going to them. So mm -hmm. if everyone is going to, I don't know, top 50 influencers, right? Mm 
consumers start to get tired too. Okay, what are they selling today? You know, and yes, they can be inventive. I mean, they're creative and so many influencers are very creative in how they, they bring product to us and, you know, explain the information. And, but after a while, there's a little bit of tired, you know, there's a little bit of weariness in terms of if, if it is too much too Mm. soon. Right. Mm -hmm. Because I know how I feel personally as a consumer. I'm like, okay, here they go. That's the song. Uh, that's Master P. <laughs> like uh, there they go. There they go. Um, I can't sing the whole song, but you know, to that point, there they go pushing another product that may not be for me. Off swipe, swipe left, swipe right, whatever, whichever way it goes. You know, because there's an influx of influencers that are really, you know, marketing the products, but it's not always for us, and they get pitched so many times in a day looking for their next collaboration partnership and stuff. So let me do this to get my next footing, you know, and some are intentional too, you know, to really highlight and promote the brands too. So I'm not discounting them either, but you have both ends of the spectrum, you know, exactly, exactly. So that can't be that be all and end all like the influencer Mm -hmm. is not going to be the answer to all your prayers as a brand. Yeah, absolutely. So speaking of authenticity, you know, within black space, respectfully, you know, we're starting to see a lot more brands doing collaborations, creating their own products, et cetera. That's not always pigeonholed. You know, they may say like Fenty Beauty, we're black owned, but we're for everybody. It's inclusive beauty for all. So what recommendations would you give brands to really think about not to pigeonhole themselves and really think about the end goal, how to create the community and also an effective growth strategy that resonates with their products? So it depends on where you are in your journey with the brand, right? So you're first starting out, you got to really understand what's what's selling and what your consumer wants. Once you figure that out, then it's developing a suite of products that can serve them and finding new ways to reinvent that, right? Mm -hmm. To, To build upon that and then explore because you always have your early adopters and then it's kind of like a halo people on other sides that start to to engage with your product. So mm-hmm. what do they need? So it's first serving your core customer and then seeing who the, who your other customers are that are coming because you'll find out your core customer age range may change things. So you have to continue to go back to see who you're serving. You can't do the you can't do survey once and think you're done. Mm-hmm. You're always checking in with that community to hear and see what works, right? Mm-hmm. then um, I think one year, what do you want to be in five years? Mm-hmm. But you, you, you do incremental goals in between, as opposed to saying next year, we're going to be a billion dollars. That's not how, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or not even a million. You're not necessarily going to be in a million either. It's, it's yeah. really, really think about a slow build and think about, um, so you have to love the brand that you're working with. You have to really have a deep affection and willing to stick it out. Mm-hmm. Just like a relationship, right? You're in it for a minute before you're going to see, you know, not necessarily a relationship that you're not, not going to see any reward, but um, mm-hmm. when it comes to your business, it's going to take a minute to build. Yeah. So you have to be committed to that build mm-hmm. and be committed to any pivots that come your way. Mm-hmm. And you have to be comfortable with failure. Because everything is mm-hmm. not going to be what you expect. You know, every outcome is not going to be what you expect. Oh, yes. So many twists and turns. And regardless if you're an entrepreneur, corporate professional, wherever you may be, 
it is a roller coaster. Life is a roller coaster itself. And then when you add multiple layers, it is a whole, you're going through twists and turns. So I always encourage my clients to really think about, don't get so caught up in, I just want to go to retail. That's cool. But what are we doing in between that stage to get you to retail in the next five years? Because where you at now, you may, you're not ready. And I tell brands that too. I'm like, you are not ready for retail. Why? I had one person tell me, I think you're trying to sleep on me. Well, let's go to sleep because, and wake up and come back to the drawing board because I want to, I want to work with you. However, I want it to be impactful for you. Right. I'm not, I, yes, we both getting paid, but I really want to genuinely help you. And I'm being real. I'm like that best friend that's going to tell you the real deal. You ain't ready. Let's sleep on it. Let's wake up tomorrow. Let's with a fresh mind, fresh start to see how we're going to tackle that to get there in the next five years. But what can we do incrementally, slowly to get there? Because it's going to be a lot of detours. It's going to be some potholes you run across. You're going to have roadblocks. You're going to experience it all. But to that point, be intentional about it and know that it is a journey. You are in it long haul. If you think you're going to get a product and go to retail as little as a year, that's like 0.1%. That's going to do that. 0.1. From what I've seen, it's those people who have been in the industry, have already put some skin in the game, have put blood, sweat, and tears that we don't see to get there, but we don't know how many no's they got until they got exactly. that one Exactly. So all the things that, you know, you see these overnight sensations, nothing happens overnight. Mm-mm. People just, and you know what? A good story is a hero's journey. There's dips, mm-hmm. there's crashes, <laughs> there's mm-hmm. days when you don't want to get out of bed, you know? I mean, this is just reality of life, yeah. you know? So it's not going to be any different with your brand Mm -hmm. and working in this industry. Absolutely. And so as we're starting to wrap up for today, you dropped a lot of gems and a lot of advice, which is definitely great. And I know you have your Jumpstart Accelerator, where you have a coaching program helping brands to really jumpstart their career and their next move. So share a little bit with us about your Jumpstart Accelerator and how you can help them. So this is for people who want to start their brand. So my accelerator is to to coach you through the challenges that you have, not just with creating the ideas, but the mental block that prevent you from getting started. And that's why it's called Jumpstart. So we, so people often have great ideas and we just sit on them and sit on them and sit on them. Mm-hmm. And we never act because we're waiting for something. We're waiting for the money. We're waiting for you know, we're waiting for the opportunity, waiting for the formula, we're waiting to find the contract manufacturer, working for all things systems go, but that's not how life works. So what, there's always thing that you can do incrementally to move the needle forward. And so that is what my coaching program does for um, aspiring founders. I love that. And it's much needed too, because I get people come to me, they're like, hey, can you coach me with this? I'm not it but I will refer you to Corinne going forward and you can go through her Jumpstart Accelerator and we can work collectively to think about, okay, where you're at, the products you're creating, your competitive analysis, the type of packaging you're looking at and the different iterations you may go through with your packaging for it to make sense. I was like, I'm not a coach. I'll encourage you, hype you up from the sidelines, but I'm going to refer them to Corinne and she'll get you <laughs> together with the Jumpstart Accelerator. Um, you know, because it is a, it's a, it's a mental shift. For for sure. It is. You want to go. And it's knowing that you are that person that has been sitting on your idea, Mm -hmm. sitting and you sit and get on social and you get frustrated seeing other people 
move forward. Mm-hmm. The only way you're going to move forward is to move, mm-hmm. but also to identify what's holding you back, right? That part, that part, because in this, in this thing called life, we don't have a manual. We're figuring nope. it out as we go. We're going through the twists and the turns and the emotional roller coasters. And with each turn is a mental block that we then go through imposter syndrome. We then say, you know what? I'm just going to sit on this. I'm not going to put it out because it ain't perfect. Instead of focusing on progress over perfection. I'm so glad to hear that you have this accelerator because it's going to be impactful for brands to really go through that mental shift and quitting on your ideas, quite frankly. So you can put your products out there and show up authentically. Then you have the products and the packaging that's created that's going to be representative of your brand. So then get you into boutiques, your D2C, or wherever your strategy is, you know, for positioning your products. So you're going to get them, you're going to definitely help them jumpstart for sure. Yeah, for sure. I love that. So as we are wrapping up today's episode, we are going to go into our power round. So it's going to be a quick lightning speed, 30 second round, asking Corinne about some of her favorites as well. So I'm going to put the time on the clock. And so you ready? Yes. All right, let's go. So what are some black owned brands that you're currently using now? Lemique Brow Kit, um, mm. Ami Coley, um, Mimic Lip Gloss. Well, I like Mimic. Uh, Mimic and um, Lip Bar. It's been my old standby. Yes. For my dark, my bright lips. And 456 Skin. The amazing, it's an amazing skincare product. Okay, nice. Um, and if you could change one aspect of beauty standards to be more inclusive, what would it be? That if you're going to include us, that you include a range. So mm. there's not one representative. We are not a monolith. So that is what I would change. The okay. idea that, oh, we've got one here and that represent everybody. No, you can't mm-hmm. use one to represent all. Mm, love that. And last question, why is product and packaging critical for brands? It's like having a great dessert and the frosting looks inedible. Ooh, I love that description. People can relate to that. You know, somebody's like, oh, they put that, but they made that cake. They made yes. that cake. But then you look at it. He's like, I don't know about that cake. Yeah. <laughs> it look a little bare. I don't know. It look a little, it look a little, I don't know. It's been sitting out. Mm, I don't know. So I yeah. think when you think about, you have to pay as much attention. This is what I will say seriously though, to the outside, as much attention to the outside of the, of the jar, of the bottle, of the, as you do the inside. It's not like you just get a, you perfect the inside and then you try to skimp everywhere else. You pay as much attention to the outside because the outside is what represents your brand too. Mm-hmm. It all represents your brand. Yeah. It's the first impression of the brand. Yes. And yeah. I believe the product is what keeps the, keeps your clients in your pipeline and keeps them coming back for more. Right. And here's the thing. If you want to go to retail and you have not got perfected that, you're not getting in. Mm-hmm. Cause these retailers, from products and packaging, they have guidelines. They are now changing their blacklist. They are now saying which ingredients and packaging materials they want to see, especially like big box brands. They're like, we want to see more sustainable packaging. What does that mean for you? Do you have the investment, the capital to keep up with all the uh, requirements, you know, going into retail, specialty boutiques, et cetera. So very valid point. It's a lot of things. And have your stability tested your product? I got to say that, you know. Y'all, I say get your t- products tested all the time. You are like the 10th person 
on this show that has said the exact same thing. And I'm like, I don't know why brands are not testing the product. Spend the money and test the product. Yeah, you just don't want to have to return, refund somebody's money because they found mold in their product. Let's come on now, y'all. Let's do better. Factor that into your budget. It's worth it. It is so worth it. It seems like a lot up front, but it will save you a lot of headache and a lot of money on the back end with attorneys, with returns, with redevelopment, with new packaging. Guys, please just invest the money. And if you don't have anybody else on your team, have a regulatory specialist on your team. I have one on my team that I can refer you to because your product testing and regulations and being compliant for market, especially going into retail, you need a regulatory person that's going to say, mm -mm, that, that ain't it. Where's your testing? Where's your documents? The, Nordstrom wants to see this. Target wants to see this. They tell you those things because they have insight because they're working on those things alongside of other brands. So definitely have those things in place um, for sure. I'm sorry. I know we were wrapping up, but I do have to go back to one point that we sure. did not cover, which is the fearless fund. So nowadays we're in this environment where we've heard of fearless fund venture capital is now being sued for discrimination. What do you think is going to, how this is going to impact black brands and other brands that are starting to get venture capital money and respectfully for the fearless fund organization. What I think is, so this lawyer who has, has done this, there are litigious people who look for loopholes, look to make an example of people, not just, I mean, in the beauty industry, it's, it's in the terminology. They can do it in lots of different ways. Mm -hmm. So in this instance, what I think the Phyllis Fund needs is like a black billionaire like Robert Smith to put his weight behind their legal fund and start to question some of this other stuff, like hit them back with something else because they're trying to pick us off because it'll bankrupt funds trying to, to, to mount a defense, right? Mm -hmm. So it's a matter of, you know, kind of getting some people to help to fight this because the reason the fearless fund exists is because no one was giving us money and all these other, all these other funds. So it is a matter of like just trying to, to hem us in and hold us back. And we have to be creative in finding the solutions, not run away. Right. Mm. This is where that community comes in. So how yes. can all of us as a community really get together be impactful to not run away from it, but to step up to the plate to say, we're not taking this. We are backed by X person, this person, and this whole community. We specifically created this organization to specifically help Black brands get capital for their idea that they're sitting on. We definitely need the community behind this, um, for sure. And community, yeah, but we need people with deep pockets. That's true. And lawyers on their team mm -hmm. who can tie that lawyer up with yeah. all the backup um, paperwork that's going to keep him running. Yeah. We, we <laughs> need the people with the money. We need the people with the money yeah. and the skill yeah. and the legal knowledge to tie him up and, and, and let him chase his tail. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're the Johnny Cocker team. <laughs> Everybody used to call Johnny Cocker. <laughs> Somebody. Yeah. Somebody. Come help sister girls out. Like, because yes, he's yes, but I, I said specifically Robert Smith because he's got, the, he's a billionaire. Come he's a billionaire. Yeah. Byron Allen, Tyler Perry. Somebody step up. Somebody. Come help these sisters out. Come help them right. out. Ke Keisha Napoleon works with Tyler Perry. So yeah, who can we call at Tyler Perry Studios to, to help <laughs> these girls out? 
like seriously. But yeah, to your point, you know, as a community, we're definitely supporting the Fearless Fund um, leaders and, you know, and the organization as a whole, but we also need those who have impact and influence and exactly. money and skill sets to help us so we can continue to invest in other black owned brands. Like we need right. this. And to mount, to give us the strategy that, that allows fit, you know, entities like the Fearless Fund to continue to exist and to be impactful. We do. We do. Look, I, I'm about to go on my LinkedIn and see who I know that knows somebody that knows somebody. Like, where's the distant cousin, auntie, brother, sister, grandma, and them? We who who knows somebody that can get us to somebody? Right. <laughs> it's very, very true. It's yeah, it's very true. Yeah. So look, tap into y'all phone lines or tap into y'all networks to see uh if grandma and them know somebody, if auntie, sister, brother, cousin, y'all know how it goes, you know, that knows somebody that knows somebody to really help make sure that we're making a positive impact and continue to have this phenomenal organization continue to provide and provide capital to specifically exactly. on brands. We need it because capital, exactly. you need capital for everything from the products to the testing, to the advertising, the marketing, uh, getting into retail, redevelopment, you need capital for everything. So now regulatory specialist, legal, you need money for everything. So y'all please help, help these sisters out. Please, because we need it. We need it. So, well, Corinne, this was a phenomenal conversation and I would love for you to share how people can get in contact with you and also your podcast. Okay, so I'll start with the podcast. It's Start Right Here. It's um, available on all the major streaming um, platforms. So Spotify, Apple, Google, um, Amazon. And there's also a YouTube channel if you want to watch the video version of it. And there are, to date right now, 82 episodes out. There'll be more coming starting in September. And then to my personal, so you can follow the podcast at Start Right Here. It's uh, start. It's underscore between Start and Right in Here podcast on Instagram. Or you can follow me at, at Corinne C, C-O-R-Y-N-N-E-C on Instagram and TikTok. And then also um, my full name on, on LinkedIn. Phenomenal. So guys, all of Corinne's information will be down in the show notes. So that way you can um, sign up for her Jumpstart Accelerator, follow her on all of her social media platforms and making sure that you subscribe to the Start Right Here podcast, as well as the interview Corinne and I had on her podcast as well. So we'll include all of those links down in the show notes for you all. So for today, we are going to wrap it up here on the Product and Packaging Powerhouse Show. We're so grateful that you were able to tune in to a great conversation here on the show. So until next time, y'all stay safe and continue to rock your brands and rock your beauty with confidence. So I'll talk to you soon.